Father, we come before you knowing that you are a good God in charge of all things. So would you, Lord, put everything at bay that needs to be at bay? Would you protect our people outside that's cooking, watch over them? Would you allow the flyers and the invitations that we personally made to reach homes and folks would be coming out, even, even walking in the door in two seconds, Lord, just to hear your gospel preached and to experience your gospel people? Father, we pray that you would remove me so that your word might be magnified and we can understand you more clear, with greater clarity. Father, would you allow uh, your people to not be distracted by um, Easter outfits and uh, candy and eggs and all these things, Lord, and let us be able for a moment to just give you our undivided attention. Holy Spirit, lead us in this way. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. 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 I, uh, I love having been a part of MacAv Church for some time. Uh, being a part of this ministry for some time, I've been blessed to have a variety of church members join. I've had a variety of staff members join. And we have a church and we have a nonprofit that, that works together as one, seeing Christ exalted in this neighborhood. And so having been here for some time, I've been able to see that there's like different perspectives that you get when you're doing life in the D. I meet some people and their perspective is a, is a high level perspective. It's one that's been informed by media where they know Detroit based on what happens in the latest podcast or what happens on the news. And then I get a chance to connect with them. Then I know some other folks that I get to meet, and they get connected to Detroit through driving. You know, they, they ride down our streets or ride through the hood. And there's a, a perspective that you get when you've driven through at about a 25 to 35 mile an hour pace, and you're just trying to soak it in. But then the thing I love most when we have staff or members, interns, whoever, is that at some point, I get a chance to walk the street with you. I get a chance to actually go out down Harding or down Beals and take a walk and you begin to see a letter that might be left on the steps of a home that's abandoned and you see that there was a family that at one point did life here. It makes what might be a top shelf, top shelf understanding from the media or from driving by, it actually makes it get a lot more realer and get you a lot closer when you take that walk down the street. Today, I'm inviting you to take a walk with me down a gospel street. I'm inviting you to actually get close with me in the story of Jesus' resurrection, not from a, 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 a top high level perspective, but we're going to get down close and hear the words of some that have walked with Christ and celebrate his resurrection power. In order to do that, we got to start at, start at a week ago, because a week ago we had Palm Sunday. And the celebration that we're doing now is what an entire community was celebrating. They saw their king riding in, but he didn't ride in victorious on a stallion like he was ready to take over. He rode in on a donkey, switched it up on him, rode in on a donkey. And I said a week ago that that would be like President Obama coming in on a Salvation Army soup truck coming in to care for others, coming in to feed the needy, coming in to serve. 
So we saw him, him, him coming in to serve and we saw the people with these palm branches shouting, Hosanna, Hosanna, which means I beg that you save us. I beg that you would deliver us. Hosanna. People singing these words and proclaiming these words and celebrating these words. But then the, the palm branches die, they withered. And before you know it, just days later, there's a different scene that takes place. And we shared about that a bit on Good Friday. There was this, this unexpected king that came in on Palm Sunday, but then there was an unexpected death that took place on Good Friday. The Roman guards had, had seized Jesus. They had uh, uh, got with this dude that was close to Jesus, but he betrayed him. His name was, was Judas, and they punched our Christ. They mocked our Christ. They ridiculed our Christ. They beat and tortured our Christ. And at every moment that he suffered, we as people are reading through the story. The disciples in that moment are with him and they are thinking, now you're going to let your power shine. Now you're going to show them that you are king and victorious and mighty. And no one ever expected that Jesus would die. No one ever expected that someone so powerful, shown so many miracles, would actually die. And so in John 19, he captures Jesus' words, not that someone took his life, but in John chapter 19, verse 30, it says that Jesus said, it is finished. And he bows his head and he gave up his spirit. Not something that was stolen and taken from him, but actually an act that he committed for our sake. And so we start with Palm Sunday. Then we move to Good Friday. And today we stand at Resurrection Sunday. And I invite you to join me in the first chapter of the book of Acts. Our, our text for today is going to be coming from chapter 1 and chapter 2 of Acts. There might be a Bible near your knee. If not, uh, we have some, we'll have the scriptures up here. But we'll be talking about uh, Palm Sunday was an unexpected king. This, uh, then Good Friday was an unexpected death. And today we'll be talking about unexpected power. Acts chapter 1. Acts chapter 1. Starting with verse 1. In the first book, O Theophilus, I have dealt with all that Jesus began to do and teach until the day when he was taken up after he had given commands through the Holy Spirit to the apostles whom he had chosen. He presented himself alive to them after his suffering by many proofs appearing to them during 40 days and speaking about the kingdom of God. So family, this is a, a quick snapshot into, okay, so they celebrated Jesus. Then Jesus dies. Now we're getting insight into Jesus showing himself after he has died. He reveals himself, shows himself to many. He shows himself to 500 which we see in 1 Corinthians, where he shows himself to James. 
He shows himself to Paul. He shows himself to Mary Magdalene. We don't even want to talk about our brother Thomas. Can't get that, that, can't get that adjective off of his name to this day, you know. Showed, showed himself to Thomas. So he's showing himself. And why is Jesus showing himself? He's showing himself because there's an issue out that took place then and it takes place today. The question is this, was Jesus God? Not was Jesus a good guy. Not was Jesus uh, a miracle worker. Was Jesus God? And so if you are, even today when I debate with people and I talk with people or even when I'm listening and hearing uh, apologetic or gospel conversations online, I've got friends that have attended Harvard to study the Bible. No one questions the historic nature of Jesus. Did he exist? No one questions, did Jesus perform miracles? Now, we might explain it away and be like, oh, yeah, we think in the Bible some miracles happened. That was actually some rust from a tree that made, you know, the waters red. It wasn't actually blood in the time of Moses. Like people try to explain all these things away, but they still will credit miracles to Jesus. But was he God? Was he God? That's a question that we all have to wrestle with, that humanity has to wrestle with, and that Jesus pauses and says, man, you didn't know the type of king I was going to be. You also didn't know the type of kingdom I was going to usher in because I died. But let me show you the type of power that I'm going to manifest. I said I was God. I'm going to prove it to you by displaying myself, by showing myself after death. After death. I, uh, I this past week, uh, unfortunately, um, was down at the courthouse and was supporting someone that was uh, going through a, a situation. And what I noticed while I was sitting there was that there was a different courtrooms, but there was this center room that was just for witnesses. I started thinking, man, like a witness, a witness has a lot of power. A witness can be the difference between you being in jail for decades to come. Or a witness has the power to see you exonerated and free from all charges. What somebody sees with their own eyes speaks volumes and has a great impact on others. We got 500 witnesses. We got James and Paul. We got a ton. If you try to get one person to be on your side, that might work. You might be able to pay off five or six people. Baby, your money gonna have to be long for you to pay off 500. (laughs) 500 that attests to something that would deem them as crazy. Why, why would I be ostracized by my own community? Do you know how crazy I would be even today if I walked down Mac like, hey, there's this brother named Jonathan Demers. Let me tell you, uh, he raises people from the dead. I've seen him do it. I saw it like I know we believe in the miraculous, but y'all still would be like, mm. <laughs> I don't know, pastor, this brother, Jonathan. I don't, you know, it's it's it's. And so these people were ostracized for being willing to say something that seems so counter to our normal rhythm of life. Ton of witnesses. But I don't want to simply allow 
each witness to bear their case because I don't want to overwhelm you. I don't want to have to help you understand it from Thomas's view and from Mary's view. I'm going to actually dive in to just one person's view. It's a brother that we heard from on Friday, from Peter's view. Now, my, uh, my elders uh, trust me and have been a, a blessing to me forever. And my seminary uh, professors gave me these insights. They said, uh, you know, preach your own sermon, brother. Let the Lord use you, which means don't ever steal somebody else's sermon, man. Uh, <laughs> but today, today is going to be the only time that I steal someone else's sermon. We're going to look in Acts chapter 2 now. Because Peter preaches a sermon in Acts chapter 2. And I'm going to allow his sermon to actually help us understand the beauty of the resurrection. Because it is far more powerful than I think the words that I could put together. Acts chapter 2. We're going to start with verse 21. Acts chapter 2 verse 21. And this is, this is a, a, a situation where the spirit... Holy Spirit has come down upon people. Uh, Folks are understanding and hearing the gospel in their own language. And Peter is speaking to a people who are like, what's going on here? What is happening? This is out of the norm. What's going on? Acts chapter 2, verse 21. And it shall come to pass, excuse me, that everyone who calls upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. Everyone who calls upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. There's, a, there's an equation here. Everyone who calls upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. It's like you saying uh, two plus two equals four or one plus one equals two. Call on plus the name of the Lord equals salvation. Call on plus the name of the Lord equals salvation. Notice I did not say work hard plus the name of the Lord equals salvation. Notice I did not say need to be a good person plus the name of the Lord equals salvation. I said call on. Call on. As a, as, as a dad, uh, I, I don't ever have a problem sleeping. I get that deep rim sleep. I don't know, I don't know what it is. I work a full day, serve a full day, come home, want to care for my wife, care for the kids. And somehow once we get them kids in the bed, so she just start getting blurry. You know what I'm saying? The bags on the eyes start getting heavy, you know. I don't have, I don't have a problem sleeping. But it's interesting that my children can have an issue when they are sleeping. And they can hit a pitch where they just call my name and I come running, awaken out of my sleep. Some of my children, because of their volume, I did just some are louder than others. Some, it's not even a volume thing, it's a pitch that I just hear it and I come, I'm up. Family, God wants us to call on him in our time of desperation. And your voice is going to be unique. There's no one way that you do it. But one of the key components to being able to be saved is that you admit that you are in need. And so you call out to your father. We call out to him. 
But I also remember a time when I was young and I was, uh, I was, I was, I was arrogant. I'm in the fifth grade, about to graduate. I just think I know everything. And this little dude said something to me in class. So what's up? We fighting after school. It's going down. And after school, we, we start squaring up. And it's like a room this big because we're waiting for the school buses to go. So now everybody in here and it's packed. Me and him, we start squaring up. Start, start fighting, throw a little jab, little jab. Well, the bus is leaving, so everybody in the room take off. Now it's just me, him, and one other person that, 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 that's walking home. Me and him still fighting. Then another person, that, that guy that was waiting with us, he leaves. So now it's just me and this guy still fighting. And, and I wasn't wise enough to, to, to remember why he walked home. He walked home because his house was on the street of the school. So I'm still fighting him, and his cousins come home. So now I'm fighting him, and I'm fighting the cousins, and I'm fighting him, and I'm fighting the cousins, and a car drives by, and I'm like, help! <laughs> hey, get them! And, and it would be nice for, like, my, my sermatic, you know, sermon climax. I actually can't remember, but I have this vague image that the person driving the car was elderly. And I think she might have wanted to do something, but she just couldn't. You see, Jesus does not simply want you to call out. You've got to call on the right name. You've got to call on the right person. You've got to call on the person who can actually save you in that situation and his name is God his name is Jesus and Jesus alone it is the calling on and it being Jesus who you call on that provides salvation there is no other name and so in Acts he says it shall come to pass that everyone who calls upon the name of the Lord shall be saved Continue with me in verse 22. Peter goes on to provide some more understanding. He says, men of Israel, hear these words. Jesus of Nazareth, a man attested to you by God with mighty works and wonders and signs that God did through him in your midst, as you yourselves know. This Jesus delivered up according to the definite plan and foreknowledge of God, you crucified and killed by the hands of lawless men. God raised him up, losing the, loosing the pangs of death because it was not possible for him to be held by it. Verse 22. And God attested to you these mighty works. Three, three quick things that, that, that we see God pointing us towards with Jesus. First, God spoke of Jesus. The Bible is written in a manner where every story is attesting to Jesus Christ. Where behind every veil, behind every character, behind every theme, it's leading and guiding us towards Jesus. Behind Ruth with her beautiful character, Abraham, a man of faith, John, a man who proclaimed Christ is Jesus. They all are pointing towards Christ. And so there is this God who is already celebrating his son. But then he's doing so with something that's going to grab our attention. He's doing so with something that's going to wake us up. 
And that ain't to say nobody that's sleeping in the room. I'm just saying to wake us up. He's he's giving us signs and wonders because we as people need to have our normal disrupted. We need to be able to say, whoa, wait a minute. What was that? That could have only been a God thing. That could have only been a Jesus thing. That could have only been something that's beyond my power. And so Jesus says in John chapter 20, he says that that, uh, Jesus did many other signs in the presence of his disciples, which are not written in this book. But these are written that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the son of God, and that believing you may have life in his name. So these so God is speaking in his word about Jesus. Jesus is performing these miracles so that people would believe. But then there's a third. There's a third. There's a fulfilling of prophecy. Fulfilling of prophecy is like if, if I said somebody in this room is going to cough. Okay, I planted that. I planted I totally planted that. But that's, that's, that is what f- prophecy is. Prophecy is when someone declares it and then people wait and look with expectation, anticipation, and hope. And then someday it actually is fulfilled. So God's talking about him, Jesus performing miracles, and then there's this prophecy that is, there's these expectations. Let me give you a few of these prophecies so you understand what Jesus was doing and how it lines up to go back to that first question. Not was he a miracle worker, not was he a good guy, not did he encourage people of color, not did he encourage uh, women, not did he encourage the poor, not did he celebrate the rich, not all of those things was he God. Was he God? Let's look at, these, look at these prophecies that are fulfilled that point towards it. Number one, the Messiah would ride in on a donkey. Messiah would be called God's son. That the Messiah would be portrayed for 30 pieces of silver. The Messiah would be pierced. The Messiah would be a suffering servant. The Messiah would be born of a virgin. The Messiah would be rejected as the cornerstone. And that the Messiah would be resurrected. Conquer death. There's between, scholars go back and forth arguing between 200 and 400 prophecies fulfilled in Jesus. Take the low number. 200. (laughs) Come on. That's still a ton. But then he says this about about himself. He says in Matthew 20. uh, Excuse me. He doesn't doesn't say it. It's written in Matthew 20. It says, and Jesus was going up uh, to Jerusalem. He took the 12 aside and on the way he said, see, We are going up to Jerusalem and the son of man will be delivered over to the chief priests and scribes. They will condemn him to death and deliver him over to the Gentiles to be mocked and flogged and crucified. And he will be raised on the third day. Raised on the third day. Um, At some point, I always like to get my kids involved a little bit. 
So kids, I need y'all to help me, okay? Dang. Kids, I need y'all to help me, okay? All right. So I'm going to say three things, and I need somebody in the room to do it, okay? Okay. Uh, I need somebody to clap. I need someone to say amen. Amen. I need someone to say hallelujah. Hallelujah. All right. So so now, I love it. And the kid and parents like, now you got him started. Look at you. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> that's, that's, that is, it, once you began to see me do that, once I did the first one and the kids responded. Did the second one, kids responded. Third one, kids responded. You begin to see a theme. That's what, that's what prophecy is supposed to do. It's supposed to help you be like, oh, I'm getting more and more confident in the things you're saying because I see more and more repetition with the things you're saying actually coming to pass. But this is the, this is the little catch. If I said to you right now, um, outside there's some people cooking food and you can have free food afterwards. If you didn't know anything about the barbecue, you might be like, Okay, pastor. Or if I said outside, there's going to be um, a free car giveaway and somebody's going to receive a car. You'd be like, oh, okay, pastor. If I said outside, there's going to be a, a new house, five new houses. Like I could come up with a bunch of different things that I could say. And even though your hope would be stretched, you, couldn't, you wouldn't deem it as crazy. Because... There is nothing on this earth that I could describe that, that somehow could not be explained. If I said there's going to be 10 cars waiting for free, well, maybe Johnny hit the lottery, he gave us money, and now you can explain away why I got 10 cars out there. If I said there's going to be tons of food trucks, maybe Forgotten Harvest partnered with our church and we got food out there. Why am I spending some time on I'm spending some time on this because there is only one thing. That if I told you it would happen, you'd say, there's no way possible it could take place. And that's somebody dying and coming back from the dead. Now, we're not talking about ER three-minute death, ER five-minute death, ER six-minute. We're talking about wrap the body up, prepare him for burial. Put Jesus in a tomb. Seal the tomb. Roman soldiers that beat him, that allowed his blood splatter, went home and showered. Got cleaned up. We're talking about the night shift came in to watch over the stone that was to protect to make sure nobody interfered with the body. We're talking about something so unique that no matter what someone says, you would have to say, he must be God. He, he, he must be God. If, the, if, if he is resurrected, if he conquers death, then he must be God. I've, uh, I've been on this side of it for a little bit. April 21st, I've been on this side of it for, for 15 years. Me and wife have been, been married and uh, got four beautiful kids, fifth on the way, God willing. Do not, act, we, got, we are adopting. Okay, we adopting. A beautiful wife. Um, 
And so um, we're on this side of it. But, but, but before, probably 16 years ago, you know, I, I would be in the presence of brothers. And, and this is where I'm, I'm, I'm still not, you know, I'm Rebecca and I not together. I'm still kind of hoping out here looking for a young Diddy, you know what I'm saying? Got my, got my eyes open. I would talk to the old brothers and say, hey, like, you've been married 10, 15, 20 years, 30 years. How did you know? How did, how did you know? And they would say something simple like, man, like there's just a, an, an aspect of her character or a trait about her that's different, that just makes you not even want to consider anybody else. There's a trait that's, that's unique about her that, that draws you and whoever else doesn't even matter. You're focused and committed. This Jesus is trying to say the unique trait about me that should make you love me beyond any other God that's trying to woo your attention and get your, get your attitude and get your heart and get your mind. The one trait that's unique above all things is that I've conquered death, that I'm a resurrected king. Others might fake you and try to trick you with miracles with compassion, with generosity. None can say that they conquered death and now reign victoriously. Verse 32 says, this Jesus God raised up, uh, excuse me, and that all, that we are all witnesses, witnesses, witnesses of what? Witnesses of his victory, witnesses of him conquering death, witnesses of now us getting to live victorious with him. First Corinthians 15, 17 says this, it says, and if Christ has not been raised, your faith is futile and you are still in your sins. I put a, I put a Leon spin on that because sometimes when it's like the negative you don't really get to feel the effect because you're trying to like do in your mind. Well, if that's the negative, what's the positive? Ver- okay, so here's a positive spin from the Leon version. But because Christ has been raised, your faith is not futile and you are no longer shackled to your sins. Him being raised frees us from being bound to sin. And so now we can live victoriously. And I know you probably like, but pastor, you don't remember what I did last night? My, my mess up? You don't remember like my mentality? You saying I'm victorious and I can live like that right now. And that just as Jesus and conquered death, I now am not shackled to sin. But sometimes I still feel like them sin chains is pretty strong. I still feel like I want to lift my hands and something is holding down my praise. I still feel like I want to be the person that God has for me to be, but I'm just not being that. Then look with me back at verse 22. Verse 22. It says, men of Israel, hear these words, Jesus of Nazareth. I know that that, that, that doesn't strike you at first. But the person saying this, the person preaching this, the person teaching us from God's word today is Peter. Peter was a brother that had denied Jesus. 
He said, I'm not with him. I don't know him. No, I'm not one of his disciples. And three times he did that before Jesus was crucified. Three times he did that. And then this rooster crowed to remind him that beforehand he said he would always walk with Jesus and never deny him. But then he denies him three times. And I relate to Peter. I can connect with Peter because Peter was a little impulsive and I can be that way sometime. Say something, I'm like, dang, let me get that back. Let me get, can I get that back? Peter, but, but Peter not only denied Jesus with his words, I, we, us folks can sometimes deny Peter, deny God with our actions. We might not say that I'm not walking with you, Lord, but the way we behave sometimes shows that we're denying the Lord. And I love this situation because Peter is the person that denied Jesus. The people of Israel were the ones asking him, are you with him? It's the people of Israel that are the ones that are crucifying Jesus. It's the people of Israel and the crowd that's the ones that tortured and murdered him. And then who does he speak to about Jesus in verse 22, men of Israel, the very people who he was a coward in front of before, the very people who he denied Jesus to, now this brother who was a denier is now a proclaimer. Went from being a denier of Christ to now a celebrator of Jesus. Why? What would change that? What would make you go from a person that's embarrassed to a person that's proud to be with? What would make you go from one that is scared and fearful to one that is courageous and bold? What would make you go from one that was hiding in the midst of a courtyard to now you're in the middle of the city saying that Jesus lives? You know what would make you do that? If you saw a man that was dead, now living. If you saw a man that, that, was, that was nailed to a tree, give up his last breath, now walking with you, talking with you, now leading and showing himself to you and the other disciples, that would change you. That'll take you from being a one that was a denier. That'll take you from being one that was embarrassed. That'll take you from being one that was fearful and scared to being one that's bold. The resurrection. And so our brother Peter is a, is a great example for you and for me that, yeah, sometimes we still feel shackled, but those shackles don't control us. I tried to put on the air, y'all, but it ain't listening to me. There we go. And so my, my prayer continues in verse 37. In verse 37. Because some of you might be asking this question. It says, now when the people heard this, they were cut to the heart and said to Peter and the rest of the apostles, brothers, what shall we do? And Peter said to them, repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, for the forgiveness of your sins. 
If you're saying, man, I'm hearing you, pastor, that this resurrection was something real. But now what do I do about it? Simply say, I don't want to indulge in sin anymore. Lord, I want to turn towards you, leaving sin behind me. I want to repent of my past behavior and be identified with Christ through baptism. Repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins. And you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit for the promises for you and for your children and for all who are far off, everyone whom the Lord calls to himself. Ernest uh, Beavers, Bevers tells of this story. He says that uh, in, a, in a missions class, and missions is when you go to places that people don't know Jesus. In this missions class, a brother named Herbert Jackson told how as a new missionary, he was assigned a car that would not start without a push. After pondering this problem, he devised a plan. He went to the school near his home, got permission to take out some of the children uh, from a class and had them push the car off. As he made his rounds, he would either park on a hill or leave the engine running. He used this ingenious procedure for two years, parking on hill after hill or wasting a ton of gas. Ill with his health, he was... He uh, ill health forced his family to leave and a new missionary uh, came to that station. Uh, Excuse me. Ill health forced another family to leave and a new missionary came to that station. Uh, When Jackson proudly began to explain his arrangement for getting the car started, the new man began looking under the hood. Before the explanation was complete, the new missionary interrupted and said, why, Dr. Jackson, I believe the only trouble is this loose cable. He gave the cable a little twist, stepped in the car, pushed the switch, and to Jackson's astonishment, the engine roared right to life. For two years, needless trouble had become his routine. The power was there all the time. Only a loose connection kept Jackson from putting that power to work. Family, The resurrection is the power source for the believer. The resurrection is beyond anything else that we've ever imagined. It is so unique, and it's unique to Jesus only. Some of us in our spiritual health are puttering around town. Some of us in our spiritual health are not tapping into the power source that Jesus is offering us. Some of us are not seeing that if we just allow the Holy Spirit to make the connection, oh, Lord, we can move through this city doing work for him that's beyond what we can ever imagine. And so our desire as a MacAv church is that you would be connected to the power source, that you would flourish and thrive here, that you would know that there's a community of people that love you and want to walk with you but it all depends on where you are. If you're a person that loves Jesus today, maybe you need a little power boost. Maybe you need to be a little bit reminded of the resurrection so that you can be free from the shackles that sin that try to tell you you'll never be free from that. Or maybe today is your first day of saying, if this Jesus is real, if he is king, if he's done what no other could do, 
then I want to live for him. Either way, whether it's a, a new empowerment of the spirit or whether it's an introduction to the spirit, we invite you to do life here and grow. Let us pray. Lord, we are thankful for your resurrection power. Ah, Lord. It has conquered the grave and our sins uh, shackle us no more. Let us hold dearly to an unexpected power, a power that's beyond what we could have imagined, but a power that we are so grateful and thankful for. It's in Jesus' holy name we pray. Amen.